Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. And we are continuing in our series, New Normal. And we're talking about establishing uh, a new normal after you've gone through a difficult experience in life. Uh, What we find is when we go through these troubling seasons of life, they demand, they require that you adapt and you adjust because everything else in your life has changed. And so you really, in some ways, you really don't have a choice. At some point, you have to make adjustments, you have to adapt to what is your new normal, whether it's a relationship or financial situation or a job or a relocation or a loss. Whatever it is, you're going to find yourself inevitably and inescapably faced with a situation that will make a demand of you that you establish a new normal. And one of the things we've talked about, and I think it bears repeating this morning, that we understand the differences we've talked between the seasons and the cycles, right? We said that you'll go through seasons, seasons are out of your control. There are things God sovereignly, divinely sends us through. There are are good seasons and bad seasons. There are seasons of sowing and seasons of reaping. And so you're going to go through seasons of life and God just sovereignly allows it, permits it. You can't grow without the seasons. The seasons change and God's in control. So seasons come and they go, seasons end. Cycles, however, uh, they don't end till we end them. Cycles tend to repeat themselves. So I say that because it's important when you're trying to discern what you need to do. And if you are in a season and not a cycle, then there's some adapting and adjusting that you need to make so that you can grow from the season of life. If you're in a cycle, then you need to be aware of it so you can break some habits maybe, that you can get away from some people perhaps, that you can change some things in your life that will put an end to those detrimental cycles that you continue to go through. So we're talking a little bit this morning about how do you establish the big picture, or as I'm calling it, a new overlook. How do you establish a new view of what you're going through? Now, let me say this kind of again as by way of intro, that you have to be prepared to make these adjustments and to adapt without answers. Now, sometimes we're hesitant and we're resistant to establishing a new normal because we want answers, right? I mean, once God kind of gives me some direction and tells me why I'm going through what I'm going through, then I feel like with that information, I can make the necessary adjustments in life. I'm just suggesting this morning that you have to be prepared to establish a new normal without answers. You may never get those answers. God may never explain to you why it is you have gone through what you're going through and why things have happened in your life the way that they've happened. And so you have to be able to accept the fact that I may not ever get answers this side of heaven. I may never know. I've struggled with that myself, with what I'm going through in the season of life. And I have found this to be true, that though God doesn't always give you answers, he always gives you assurance. He always gives you assurance. He lets you know that you belong to him. He loves you more than you love you. You might not die for you, but he did. So he can be trusted, and so when the answers don't come, the assurance can come. Now here's another thing you have to do. You have to be ready to adapt and to adjust to the new normal of your life without things being reconciled. 
You got a lot of loose ends out there and some of you are a little OCD and you got to tie all those up and you feel like I cannot move forward to these, all these loose ends, these unreconciled, not reconciled issues, unresolved things have to be finalized before I can move forward. Listen, you may have to adapt and to adjust to things in your life that may never be finalized. You may never get the answers, things may never get resolved, things may never get reconciled and you have to be okay with that because at the end of the day, the only thing you can control about your life is you. You're not in control of anything else. The only thing you can do is just say, I'm gonna to try to learn from this, I'm gonna to adapt and to adjust to this season of my life, I'm gonna to try to overcome this and get a new outlook over this, and I can do it without everything getting resolved, without everything getting reconciled, and I can do this without all the answers that I feel like I had to have. In some ways, you have to get to a point where you're no longer troubled over what God has settled. Did you get that? You have to get to a point in your life where you're no longer troubled over what God has settled. If God has settled that issue and it's in his hands and it's out of your control and there's nothing you can do about it anyway, then at some point you have to stop letting yourself be miserable and be troubled over these matters and issues and situations in life that God has sovereignly settled. You have to come to terms to the fact, with the fact that he's God, we're not. He knows what's best for us and we think we do, but we don't always do. And so we have to be comfortable with that and once we can accept that and we can really think about that in a different way, it gives us power to begin to adapt and to begin to adjust. Now, what I've found in this series is you could really throw a dart at the Bible and anywhere you hit, you'll find an illustration of new normal. Everybody in the Bible has had to adjust. There are good examples of good examples in there and there are good examples of bad examples in there. There are people that did it better, people that didn't do it so well. And so almost any character you wanna look at in the Bible, you can find some you know, information from their life of how they handled, adapted, adjusted, and established new normals. But what I felt led to do is talk for a little while this morning about a character that's probably not on the tip of your tongue. In fact, when you read his book, it's gonna be back in the Old Testament where the pages of your Bible are stuck together. You probably hadn't heard about this guy. His name is Habakkuk. Habakkuk, right? He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And Habakkuk is a great case study and how you get a new overlook and how you adjust and adapt to difficult situations of life. Habakkuk lived at a time where the people of God had reacted to God in a very negative way. When trouble hits your life, it will do one of two things. It either draws you closer to God or drives you further from God. And we're in control of that. And I get that, I get both reactions. I've gone through stuff that have brought me closer. I've gone through things that have driven me away. And so I've done that little yo-yo thing with God too. I get all that. And so I'm just suggesting to you that the, uh, the, what's true of a person is, can be true of a people. And in this case, Judah had gone through a series of things and they were just like, well, what's the use, right? It's kind of fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. I mean, you, you can't do anything about it. Life happens. I'm out of control of a lot of this. So, you know, prayer doesn't really work. I haven't really seen anything positive come in my life. And so they just choose to walk away from God. And Habakkuk sees it and it bothers him. He's going, man, this is a terrible thing. You, you don't need to walk away from God. I mean, though he may not doing what you do, though that he may not be doing what you thought he should be doing and he may not be responding in the way you thought he should respond, he's still God. And so Habakkuk is concerned, so he turns this thing over to God. 
He does what anyone should do when you're in a situation that's beyond your ability to control. You turn that over to God. You say, God, this is bigger, too big for me, but it's not too big for you. And so Habakkuk turns this thing over to God and God does not do anything he prayed that he would do. Or at least he doesn't do it in the way he thought he should do it. Don't you hate it when you're in a hurry and God isn't? Isn't that frustrating? Don't you hate it when you pray one of those 911 prayers and lights are flashing and the sirens are wailing and God is just like, yeah, well, I'll get to it in a minute. Don't you hate being in a hurry when God isn't? You remember Lazarus in John 11 when he's sick, the sickness is unto death, Jesus gets word, and they said, if you don't get there, he's gonna die, and Jesus stays until he dies. So I'm saying sometimes God doesn't do what we pray he will do when we, when we pray he will do it. And so this is Habakkuk's frustration, and I can share in that, can't you? Have you ever prayed for something and it seemed like God just went the exact opposite way? You were supposed to have healed this girl. She wasn't supposed to die. I mean, you're looking at situations where over here God's answering prayer and what am I? <laughs> I can't get it past the ceiling fan. You ever feel that way? The back of scratching his head. And, and you know how God answered him? He, he sent their arch enemies, their haters, he sent the Babylonians into Judah to be instruments of God's righteousness to bring about repentance. What? He used their haters. Their haters. You know God sometimes will use your haters to help you? I mean, there are probably people in this room that made big changes in your life and you, you, you saw some things you didn't see because somebody hated on you. God can use haters. Remember Joseph, when his brothers betrayed him and hated on him, what happened? He was elevated to the prime minister of Egypt in time, second only to Pharaoh in power in that land that day. How'd that all happen? He had some haters. <laughs> have you ever thought about it? We would not have redemption. The, Jesus would not have gone to the cross had Jesus not betrayed him. That's why when Judas betrays him in the garden, you know what Jesus refers to him as? He, read this, he refers to him as friend. What? How do you call the person who's just betrayed you friend because the hater was gonna be a part of the redemptive story? God was going to use the rejection of Judas in a way that worked out positive for all of us. What's my point? My point is, here he is, uh, Habakkuk is praying, God, send us a new king, send us someone who gets you and, and can lead the nation back to righteousness. Instead, he sends their enemies in, the Babylonians. And now the upright is definitely uptight. He is in a funk. I mean, here he is a prophet, a minor prophet, but a prophet nonetheless. Minor not in the sense of his prestige, but minor only in the sense that he didn't write very long book. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. So what he's seeing, Jeremiah seeing, and when you read Jeremiah, you read about chapter 20, Jeremiah has a different reaction to what God was doing than Habakkuk's. You know what Jeremiah does? He quits. I'm done. I said, trouble draws you to God or pushes you away. He walks away. I'm not critical. I get it. I've told you many times I've resigned. I just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, I totally get that. 
I get going through a funk and having your face kind of your faith kind of stretched a little bit and not understanding and your spiritual equilibrium getting thrown off. And Jeremiah just quits. In fact, he says it so strongly, he puts it this way in Jeremiah 20. I said, I will never speak of him again. Whoo, that's hot. He's a prophet, that's his job. Nope, I'm out. I'm not, not, not only am I not gonna tell anybody, else, I'm not gonna even talk about God anymore. You know what's amazing about that? God didn't just zap him with you know, lightning out of heaven. You know what that says? It says God's long suffering. Did you know God loves us enough to let us get mad? He loves us enough to let us get wrong. I mean, sometimes we see God as keeping us on such a tight leash and such a tight rope that we can't stray or wander. Or that. Sometimes he just says, yeah, I'm gonna, let you, I'm gonna let you kind of roam around. You got a lot of land out there. Just come kick the cat. No, don't kick the cat. Um, but <laughs> kick the tree. You know, just, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna let you, I'm gonna let you vent a little bit. I'm gonna let you get mad. Have you ever prayed an angry prayer? Come on, don't lie, you're in church. You just fired one off at God. Angry prayer. I've prayed some. You know, some of those, why this, why me, why now, this isn't fair, this isn't right. I mean, this doesn't make sense. What, what do you, have, have you ever done that? You know what's amazing about God? In, you look at Jeremiah. He allowed Jeremiah, he allowed him the, the, the liberty and the opportunity to be mad at him. You know why? Because he loved him. There's not a parent in this room that, that would not love your kid, no matter how mad your kid gets at you, you still love him. So you kind of get that, right? I mean, Jeremiah said, and then you know what he went on to say in Jeremiah 20? He said, I, when I tried to remain silent, his love for me was like a fire burning within me. He said, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stay away. Now look, there are people in this room who walked away from God. You gave up on church, but you didn't give up on God. And through a series of circumstances, he's kind of brought you back. You're here this morning, you're sticking your toe back in the water. You've been hurt, you're giving it another shot. But you got a story not unlike Jeremiah. You know why you're here? Because somewhere deep down in you, you know God loves you. And somewhere deep down inside of your soul, you know he knows what's best for you. And it's been like a little fire, just a little thing kindling within your soul. You walked away, but you couldn't stay away. He brought you back. That was Jeremiah. Habakkuk, wow. He responds differently. In fact, when you look at it in chapter one, I, I, I call it this, you, you, you see him, first of all, you see him under the circumstances. It's his perception. In fact, if you have a Bible, if not, look at the screen. In Habakkuk one, notice him under the circumstances. Listen to what he says. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? How many of us in the room could respond that way? I've told you about many nights at the hospital when I prayed, and I got no answer. Sitting in the bed next to Cindy, listening to that machine. Breathing for her. No answer. So I mean, I know what that's like, you do too. Your perception, <clears throat> your perception is limited to what you can see. And when it's bad and it's sad, <laughs> all you can see is that. You are under the circumstances. <laughs> That's a bad place to be, under the circumstances. You know what happens to you when you get under there? Sometimes you, you, you struggle to breathe. 
sometimes it's hard to get up. You're under the circumstances. And so I get what he's saying. I mean, I'm, I'm not throwing. I didn't, I never knew Habakkuk. I'll high five him in heaven one day and go, you the man. <laughs> Me and you right here, buddy. I got it. He said, how long, Lord, do I call and you not answer? I cry out to you, violence. <laughs> man, the sirens are on, God. <laughs> the lights are flashing. Hello, I'm in trouble down here. He hello. Violence, he said. Notes now. But you don't save. I mean, Habakkuk had, God, I know you've saved before. I know you've saved others. Have you ever felt like that? That God has worked and answered prayer? I mean, I saw it at the hospital. I prayed for guys whose wives were in ICU. And I saw them rolling right out of the hospital with their wife in the wheelchair saying, Bill, going home. Oh, man, awesome. I saw, I, so I know what he can do. I saw him do it. But how, how do you respond and how do you react when he doesn't do for you what you've seen him do for someone else? I've told you before, you don't know how strong your faith is till it gets tested. And man, you'll be under the circumstances. He's saying, Lord, I, I, I'm wondering what's going on here. Why are you looking at this that is wrong and why do you tolerate this injustice? Now understand what he was doing. He was saying, God, you are, you're apathetic. God, you're, 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 you're uncaring. God, you, you, you're not moving on my behalf. You, 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 you are unjust, maybe, maybe, huh? I mean, he, he's in a bad place. He's under the circumstances. Look, that's his perception. And again, I, I'm not critical of anybody. I talk to people all the time, but that's where they are. And I've been there. I, I, understand, I get it. So when I hear someone say, man, I'm just done, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm, forget about, I, I just go, get it, man, I, I'm, I love you. <laughs> Uh, you, you go, you work through it. I'm still going to love you and be your friend. I'll, I'm your, pa I love you. I'm your pastor. You, okay. Work through this. I get it. I, I understand. This is Habakkuk. What's interesting is you don't see God judging him. I'm back to what I said a minute ago. He cuts him slack. He, he gives him some room to be wrong. He gives him an opportunity to be mad and he, he's, he's pretty upset. <laughs> In fact, here's what he's doing. He's saying, God, you are a, a detached, distant deity. Some people land on that theologically and they never really work out of it and they kind of become what I guess you'd call deist, a deist. A deist is kind of by definition loosely defined as someone who believes in God, believes God created everything, but he kind of created the world and got it spinning and then he stepped back away from it with his popcorn and he kind of watches it some sort of level of entertained by it, but he's not involved in it, right? I mean, I know God created everything. He got it all spinning, but he backed away from it. And now he's, he's a distant deity, right? Detached. He, he's transcendent. He's above everything, but he's not imminent. He's not involved in anything. And that's not just a new theory or a new theology. That's been around since the first century. When Paul got a hold of it, listen to what Paul said. Ephesians 4, 6. We serve one God, and here, listen to how he describes him. He's above all, he's transcendent, but he's through all, and he's in you all. It's kind of a southern thing, in you all, in y'all. So what is he saying? He's saying he's transcendent, he's above all, but he's imminent, he's in you all. 
So Paul was kind of bringing that idea back and saying, no, God is not a distant deity. He's working off a different timetable, perhaps. You and I work off a time. We look at our watches and our calendars. God works off timing. He's a, guy, he's a musician. He's, he's about rhythm. And he may not be saying no. He just may be saying not yet. You're not ready. We walk out of here a little while and you grab your kids out of met kids. You probably aren't going to pitch them the keys and say, hey, let's go. Now, when they turn 16, 17, maybe you do that, but you don't do it when they're six or seven. You're not saying no, you're saying not yet. You see the difference? So God may be saying, you're not spiritually mature enough to handle this right now. I need you to grow a little more and then I can, so it's back to trusting his timing, his rhythm, believing he knows what's best and good things will happen when he's ready and when I'm ready. So Habakkuk is understanding this. He's realizing God is not a distant deity. And by the way, God will never call on you to go somewhere that he is not already there. When he said in Genesis 7 to Noah, come thou and all your household into the ark. You know what he didn't say? Go, you and all your household into the ark. He said, come. He was already in the ark. So what's the point? The point is God will not call you to go anywhere he's not. Read Daniel chapter three, when they're in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. Uh, The king looks and he says, didn't we throw three in the fire? I see four. And the fourth one is likened to the son of God. So he's in the fire. He's he's in the ark. (laughs) He's in the situation. He will never call on you to go somewhere that he is not. So here when you, man, when you open this up, Habakkuk is under the circumstance. Let me give you the second thought. All of a sudden now, to get him out from under the circumstances, he has to get above the circumstance. How do you do that? You change your perspective. You gotta change your perspective. You see as you see because of what, where you are. So you have to, if you're gonna see something different, you have to change where you are. I don't see as God sees because I don't have his perspective. God sees things different than me. I see it what I see because I see it a frame at a time, a moment at a time. So if it's bad, I can quickly find myself under my circumstance. So I have to change my perspective. I have to get a new view. I have to see differently. How do you do that? Well, it's possible to see as he sees. You say, how do you do that? Well, if you go back and remember last weekend, I talked about the difference between eyesight and insight. Eyesight is what I see. And when what I see is a bad season and then what I see is a difficult time, then what I see suddenly puts me under a circumstance that's bigger than me. But if I can change how I see this, I have to do it. My eyesight doesn't change because I'm still seeing what I'm seeing. My circumstance hadn't changed. But what has happened is now I'm relying on insight. Paul prayed, he said, that the eyes of your heart, eyes of your heart, Paul prayed. Did you know your heart has eyes? Insight, your heart, your ability to think and reason and feel. It's possible to see with your heart. The eyes of your heart, here it is, be enlightened. Well, if your heart can be enlightened, that means it could be darkened. So I'm saying that when you are under a circumstance, the circumstances is covering you and suddenly, there's no light. There's no enlightenment. And so what he does here, if you'll notice, he says, I'll get up on a tower. I, I got to get above the circumstances. I have to change my vantage point. I have to see as God sees. Now, how can we make that practical? 
the way I see as God sees is I see what he says. That's his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if faith is my insight, then the where I get faith is I go to his word. So when I see what he says, it empowers me to see what he sees. Did I lose anybody? So when I see what he says, I then can see what he sees. And what does he see? He sees me. I'm the alpha and the omega. He sees the engine from the caboose. He sees my life from this point to the ending point, And he knows every decision I will make and will not make. And so he makes adjustments and modifications all along the way. He says he's predetermined certain things, Romans 8. And he predetermines things based upon the decisions that I make in life, good and bad. And the end of his predetermined plan for my life is that I look more like Christ so I can reflect him in this dark world. So he's working in and through circumstances. And so when I see that, I know as bad as my circumstance is, what helps me get above it is to realize God has a plan in it. He's got a purpose. What's that famous verse everybody quotes? It's probably on your kitchen somewhere. Well, uh, I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29. But can I give that to you again? Maybe you hadn't thought about it this way. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. He, here's what it doesn't say. For you know the plans I have for you. You ever thought about it that way? That's not what he said. He didn't say, for you know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not harm you, bring you hope in the future, right? He said, I know. I know. So when I understand God has plans for me, plans not to harm me, but to give me a hope in the future, Jeremiah 29, 11, when I understand that, I've seen what he said, suddenly it gives me insight to see what he sees. Does that make sense? Now all of a sudden I know God has a plan and a purpose. He, he, he doesn't do things to us, he does things in us that he might do something through us. He's got a, God's got a plan. He's working a plan. And man, when you start connecting those dots, it all of a sudden, it changes your perspective. You start realizing, wow, God, I, I see it differently. I'm not saying it's any better. I'm not saying it, it, it's, it, it, you, you aren't you know, over anything. I'm not saying it still doesn't hurt. I'm not still saying it still doesn't break your heart. I'm just saying it gives you a sense of hope that you know you just didn't go through this for no reason. You know, God had a purpose in the darkest moments of your life, and the purposes for, that he has for you is not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. So when I see what he says, I then can begin to see what he sees, and I get a different perspective, and it kind of helps me pull the nose of the plane up a little. Now all of a sudden, I'm kind of breaking out of those clouds, and I find myself no longer under the circumstances. Now I find myself kind of getting above them. And man, when you look at chapter three, how this ends, it ends in chapter three with him going through the circumstances. The word I would give you is this is persistence. Number three, persistence. He doesn't give in. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give out. He says, by the grace of God, with everything that is in me, I'm going to get through this. And can I say something? Some, sometimes in your life, you have to get just downright snow white, blazing bright mad at your situation and say, by the grace of God, grit your teeth and say, I will get through this. You will. I found that you can't be defeated unless you quit. Listen, the devil can't and God won't. 
You're not defeated till you quit. Don't give up. Don't give in to this situation. Don't give out. Yeah, you might be under the situation. I say, how you doing, Bill? Well, I'm, I'm a little under my circumstances. And I might look back at you and say, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> I mean, I get it. I know. I, I understand. But did you know you've got the power to get above that circumstance? And when you get above that circumstance, man, God can get you the ability and the power to get you through that circumstance. It'll change your overlook. You'll see it completely different. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen by the time this little sermon's done. But if you'll, if you'll stay the course, it'll happen. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah, I think it's 38 and change, where the Lord said to Isaiah, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious to you. He'll wait. You know, we want him coming with sirens flashing and roaring out of the heavens, and sometimes he waits. But he waits so that he may be gracious to us. Let me illustrate it this way. I heard about a guy who was on a business trip, and part of his deal when he would travel and he'd be away from the kids and for a while is he'd always bring them something back from the trip, right? He'd have it in the bag. So the kids kind of knew the drill. He hit the front door, they're like, Dad! what's in the bag? <laughs> oh, and by the way, hi, good to see you too, you know. <laughs> and so they'd hit the bag, see what was in it. Well, he'd been on a very successful trip, man. He just, it was just incredible. What, was, what happened on the trip was really going to change his family, his company. It would really change his life. So the first thing you want to do is really bless his kids, right? So he told him, he said, guys, didn't get you anything on the trip, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to the toy store, and I'm going to buy you anything in that store you want. Their guys kind of roll back. What? Yeah, anything you want. So, man, they get down there to the toy store. They go through the door. The first thing they see is what's at the counters. Remember? The candy. All the candy. Always put it at the counters. And all that candy. The kid says, Dad, you said anything? Can I have candy? He goes, yeah, you can have candy. But, you know, hang on. Let's look around a little bit. They get back in the center section of the store, and there's ball gloves and dolls and all those kinds of things. Dad, they have a ball glove and a bat. and all this. Yeah, yeah, you can have that. But let's look around. Let's make sure. I want to make sure you're getting, you know, what you want. They get to the back of the store. You know what's in the back of the store? The bicycles. Oh, man. They look at those bicycles. Those, right? You said anything? Does that anything mean bikes? He said, I said anything. He bought them bikes. You know what happened? Those kids would have settled for candy when bikes were available at the back. What's the point? The point sometimes is we want the quick fix. We want the sudden instant change. And God is saying, you're wanting candy when the bikes are at the back. Just trust me. You know what I tell you? Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's why I talk about the five-minute plan, man. <laughs> Stick on your, stay on your five-minute plan. Just don't do anything stupid in the next five minutes. Just try to keep that under control. <laughs> okay. I'm just talking from experience. All right, Lord, five minutes. Right? And all of a sudden, you know what will happen? You stay with that five-minute plan. You keep pressing into God. Let me tell you what he'll do. And he's doing it in my life. I'm not completely there. But he'll bring you out from under the circumstance. And you can start getting on top of it. And when you get on top of it, you start figuring out how to get through it. And you realize this God has never failed me. He hasn't failed me because he can't fail me. And he can't fail you either. If you don't know him, I highly recommend him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Jeremiah would write, your mercies are new every morning. Great. 
is thy faithfulness. And Lord, we only say amen to that. Those words came out of a broken-hearted man who walked away only to return. So Father, I pray this morning that wherever we are, whether we're under, over, or through the circumstances, we'll be careful to stop and say, thank you, God. Help us to realize that you only want for us the things that we would want for us if we just knew what you know. Help us to trust you. I I pray, Lord, for my friends who've never come to terms with their faith, they've never given their heart to you. I pray that they'd humble their heart now and just simply pray this prayer. God, with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Forgive me of sin. Come into my life and help me through this situation. Brothers, it just need to be encouraged. Lord, I always want our church to be an accepting, encouraging place. I pray that we'll, Lord, encourage people today as they walk out of this room to know, regardless of where they are, there's hope and health and happiness. And for those who need someone to pray for them before they leave, I pray as soon as I dismiss to find a way here at the front. Let someone spend a few minutes and encourage them before they go. Bless now, Father, as we prepare to have a great afternoon together. I pray for the food and for all the time, the new friends that we'll meet. I just pray you'll bless us. Keep us safe. Watch over us till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.